we figured it out. Oh my god, what a gong show. So I'm blaming that on Chad. <laughs> Just so you are aware. Perfect. That is 100% his fault. Yeah, this is nothing like two chicks in a podcast trying to figure out how to set it up. <laughs> how many people does it take to screw in a light bulb? And this is more like, how many people does it take to figure out a speaker system in the laptop? Gong. Quite a few. I'm going to put a gong noise right there. <laughs> when we do the editing. It's just going to be a giant gong sound. Perfect. And welcome to the gong show. Maybe that's going to be the podcast. Oh, name. maybe. <laughs> welcome to the gong show. That actually might be that 100% might appropriate. I like it. <laughs> You've been trying to figure out what to call this podcast. Um, and I'm trying to be creative, right? Because you don't want to be like, another wellness podcast. Yeah. Come and hear me deep breathe. And I was like, Chad, you need to come up with something. Yeah. Because he's relatively creative. Right? He goes by the handle Doddling Donkey. And it's because he calls the puppies donkeys. Okay. And so that's his hand. I'm like you can come up with something creative he's like yeah I'll think about it yeah radio silence so welcome to the welcome gong to the show. gong show <laughs> and that means that it's not just health not just athletic therapy not just it is everything which is quite appropriate for athletic therapy because I'm yeah pretty sure from our experiences it'll soon be apparent <laughs> that as an AT you're just flying by the seat of your pants nine times out of ten yeah you never know what is going to happen like i just got a text message saying that the team bus is leaving at 7 30 in the morning to go to fredericton on saturday so i guess i'm going on a team bus oh my god so yeah yeah there's nothing like last minute things all the time for sports teams yeah like that is your life consistently inconsistent Especially when they're not your normal teams, too. You're like, hey, do you want to come cover an event? You're like, sure. When? This weekend. Okay. What are the details? I'll give you details (laughs) later. Or tomorrow. And I was like, okay. Two days later. So it's getting close. Are we confirmed? What are we doing? Where am I going? Do you have supplies? Do I need to bring supplies? Oh, it's out of town? And, like, way out of town? Cool. So you're paying mileage, too? No, we're going on a team bus. Nothing like a 12-hour trip then. Yeah, and here's your agenda. And, oh, now we've blown a tire and the agenda doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to be playing in 12 hours. Like, what's the plan? I don't know. I just show up. Right. Where's the dressing room? Where can I do pre-taping? I don't know. In the hallway? Like, yeah. Yeah. Or you're in the change room with them, the team you just met. You're just like, cool. So does this team, are they used to having someone in here? And is there, are they used to it being a male who's in here if it's a male team? Because if everyone stops or starts like dropping trousers right away, like oh, I'm going to just be like facing a corner trying to tape someone so that I don't. I need in my first aid kit blinders. Yeah. So like I can't see anything. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. And you just like don't want to look up. But then someone calls your name or says trainer or says whatever. And you like look up into a general direction. And you're like, mm, no, uh, you can just like tap me on the shoulder <laughs> if you want something. Or come stand over here in front of me while I face the corner. 
Yeah, I like, always had them like come around. Yeah. Yeah. That's Fun. only happened twice in the last like year where it's been, hey, last minute, do you want to work with us? We have a change room now, but we have nowhere else for you to tape. So you're going to tape here inside with everyone while they're changing. And I don't know if it ever happened to you, but um, have you ever had coaches get weird about you taping players in the hallway because it was going to give away this like giant secret of who was injured? Oh, yeah. Like, it was so weird. It's like they think that the other team is somehow scouting out if somebody gets their wrist taped. Yeah. But then they can see it anyway as soon as they're on the field. Yeah. yeah. Or on the ice. Like, you can see the tape. It's yeah. not... It's not hidden, at least not with really the sports that I'm working with lately. Like rugby, the boys got the shortest of shorts on, and they got. Know if they could be like considered shorts, they're like men's underwear, pretty much. And then some of them roll them down too to help lift each other up. So like they, some of them, I don't know how they don't fall out of things. Why there's not more accidents? Yeah, yeah. And there's been countless ones that have been like ripped or torn and then their jerseys are so tight too that it's like if i was trying to hide something it would be next to impossible yeah they just get so weird about that stuff all right we're off to the races already (laughs) (laughs) so i'm glad we did this um so not everybody especially in this province uh knows what an athletic therapist is yes right so how would you describe what we do? Um, <laughs> it's a loaded question. I get that. Yeah. Uh, I guess it depends on context. But throughout it all, we pretty much become problem solvers with really terrible answers and clues to things. And we just have to figure it out. Right. Someone Very comes in and says like, hey, I hurt myself. When? I don't know. What were you doing? I don't know. What hurts? I'm not sure. Can you point to where it hurts? Like, specifically, like, this whole area. And you're like, okay, cool. So, a shoulder. At least I have a body part to look at now. Yeah. But then you also have to look at everything else around it. So, I don't know. I feel like we're just magicians who, like, pull things out of hats to try and figure out what everything is while we don't get much to go off of from some people. Nope. I would have to agree with that. But I don't know. I feel like we're also the on the on field work is a different oh yeah beast altogether. Yeah. So yes, clinically you're ending up with these chronic or acute issues that people generalize and can't remember what happened to them. It's like they get I don't know amnesia, amnesia, (laughs) yeah, where they can't even remember when or how or whatever until you have a conversation with them and they're like, oh yeah, I broke my leg like three years ago mm-hmm. or something ridiculous. It's a lot of like almost pulling teeth. Like you have to ask so many questions. If you ask like, oh, have you ever had surgery? And they're like, no. And you're like, hey, what's your scar on your leg for? Oh, I had surgery. I forgot about it. Oh, like, right. I had a complete ACL okay. repair. And you're like, that'll help me figuring out what is wrong with your knee <laughs> or that your there's ankle. a previous injury there. <laughs> yes, 100%. So that whole thing is magician's work. And then the on-field stuff, Mm -hmm. which I would say is kind of a specialty for us. Oh, yeah. And it's a bit more of a niche, being an athletic therapist, having 
usually a first responder certification. How would you describe to somebody what we do covering a field event? Everything and anything that can happen. So oftentimes, if you're with a team that is yours, um, or even just covering one, you usually do pre-event work. So stretching, taping, assessing to see if someone can play. Hopefully, you're not assessing someone else's injury right before a game that happened a while ago, but there's never any guarantees. And then during the game, I love being like being and covering field work because I feel like we get paid to have the best seats in the house. If we're busy, everyone is having a bad day. But if we're not busy, like we just get to watch from like as close to the sidelines as we can get being in the action some of the times, depending on the sport, we're literally on field, especially in rugby. While the play is still going on, you can't get much closer to the game without actually playing in it yourself. And then we do emergency stuff on field if anything happens and any of the aftercare too. Um, Yeah, we kind of just do everything. Um, I think one of the biggest things that sets us apart from a lot of other branches of medicine who cover sports is that we do equipment removal and we're taught how to do it. Um, So oftentimes paramedics don't know how to do it properly and safely. Like they'll just get everything off of you, but not necessarily in a, hey, we can do this more efficiently than just cutting everything apart. Yep. Um, Oh, talking about gong shows. Sometimes watching people who without the training remove gear. Yeah. Terrifying. Biggest gong show in the world. Yeah. Like it's frightening to watch some people work. Mm -hmm. And when you're so used to doing it or you've had the training to do it, even because so often, and I don't know if this is the same with you, but within the emergency situation, you kind of hit this autopilot. A hundred percent. Where you just do and sometimes going over what happened afterwards because you'll always review it Mm -hmm. in your own head. If you don't, even if you don't say it out loud, you always review it. But you go back over in your head and you're like, I just, I can't tell you what I did because it just, I just did it. It was just instinctual. Yeah. But then when you're watching somebody else and you're not the pilot of the whole situation and you're not running the gong show. Yeah. um, It's just so inadequate. Some of the training that happens for some people. Yeah. I think a lot of that has to do too with because not a, not a lot of people know who we are, what our training is, and what we do, that paramedics or doctors or other people feel like they have higher authority than us as a whole, not just in specific areas. By no means am I going to argue with a doctor about things, but if I know how to remove shoulder pads from a football player in a, ho- in a helmet and he doesn't, I'm going to want to make sure that I'm taking charge on those things so it's done safely because my thought is more than just life or limb versus a paramedic where it's like, oh, we'll pull you off the field. We'll do everything here as long as you're still alive. We don't care if you're paralyzed. We don't care about all these other things where I would, when we're trained to do more specific things like equipment removal in those situations, we tend to take a little bit more care 
instead of it just being life or limb. Right. And like paramedics show up at a totally different situation than we do. Oh, 100%. Like if you're wanting to get pulled out of a burning car, like for the love of God, yes, paramedics, brilliant people to be taking you out of an emergency situation. I wouldn't have it any other way. No. And doctors, I am definitely not going to diagnose anything Mm -mm. because that's not my scope. Or stitches. Like I've seen some beautiful stitches done by doctors in the weirdest spots absolutely and like it's just fascinating to watch them work but i've also witnessed physicians trying to remove football equipment and i have like had to take over yeah and i don't want to overstep because physicians it's a totally different story right and when it comes to their insurance they're covered for what they're covered for Mm -hmm. but you're right sometimes that overarching idea that you know md means jack of all trades <laughs> yeah <laughs> doesn't really always fit in our situations yeah and i feel too like maybe it's just me but i find athletic therapists were so adaptable to so many different situations that when we went through schooling for everything it was like okay you're the charge person you're the call person you're this you're that and we had to learn all of the different roles and be very very comfortable in every single one of them and then we also learned to work collaboratively with other practitioners of whatever field where it wasn't like ever we are the be all end all of anything and I don't think any profession ever is I think we all have strengths in certain areas um, but it's hard to show what our strengths are in emergency situations like that when we're supposed to be working collaboratively with other people who have no idea who we are yeah especially in this province yeah the Maritimes in general we're not there's not as many of us we're very niched Mm -hmm. um job here especially in the healthcare profession because there's so many pts and ot's and rmt's that they kind of bleed over into our scope of practice yeah um but yeah i I 100 agree with that so starting off your at career what why why athletic therapy and i ask because (laughs) i am one too and i'm asking it like just for love of god why why did you choose it Um, it's kind of a little bit of a long story good we've got time um i used to play every sport growing up and i was one of those kids who didn't really take off any time between sports or seasons and i would jump from one to the other like i don't remember junior high or high school being like first semester second semester i remember it being like all right volleyball season basketball season wrestling track everything. I would remember it by seasons of sports, not semesters of anything. And unfortunately, mixing that with being a klutzy human being, (laughs) I've spent my fair share of time in physio and rehab myself. And I think I was probably 13. And I was at physio and it was for a sprained ankle. And this therapist was telling me, like, all right, we're going to do the alphabet with your foot. I'm like, okay. And I'm, like, looking at my foot. And she's like, all right, move your foot. And I'm like, all right, foot, move. And it just, like, stayed there. She's like, move your foot. And I was like, I'm telling it to move and it's not doing anything. Like, I don't don't know what to tell you here. I'm doing – normally when I tell a body part or something to move, it – does responds yeah yeah 
And she kept at me, like, all right, move your foot, do it or whatever. And so I go to like reach for it to move it with my hand. And she's like, nope, like just move your foot. And I was like, lady, <laughs> I'm like, I'm telling it to move. It's not doing anything. Like, I don't know what you want me to do. And I don't remember what else she said. And my mom walks in the room just as I got a little angsty. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to school for this so I can fix myself and I never have to come here again because obviously my foot doesn't want to listen to you. And it started as a joke of me just being angsty and frustrated because my foot wasn't working. Um, so when I go to school for kin, I'm working with all where, of this. Where did you go to school for kin? I did my kinesiology undergrad at the University of Regina. And then I did my athletic therapy program at Mount Royal University in Calgary. Um, so while I'm in university and even before that, I'm working with all of the teams, even throughout high school, I was in the sports med programs and I knew I wanted to be within that field somewhere. I just didn't know that athletic therapy was a thing until my second year of university in kin. Mm -hmm. Um, and as soon as I found out about it, I was like that, that thing is what I want to do. I didn't know it existed. I hoped it did, but this is what I want to do. I want to work with teams. I want to be a part of the team environment. I want to still be associated with sports, even if I wasn't playing them. But yeah, like that's that's how it all started for me. And I I never wanted to leave the field of being involved with sports. So I wanted, I knew I wanted my career to have something to do with sports and athletics and the rehab side of things even though clinically that's not necessarily where my heart of hearts lies when it comes to athletic therapy I definitely prefer more field work um, but you get a bit of both and you can do pretty much whatever you want within the field if you want to do strict clinical you can do that if you want to be strict field you can do that or you can have the best of both worlds any combination in between yeah so through your career as an AT, you started out West. Yeah. Right? What were some of the first sports that you were involved in? Um, as an AT or yeah. okay. as an athletic therapist? Um, probably rugby is the one that started everything. Um, once I was certified, I did a lot of hockey too. Rugby has a soft spot in my heart because even when I was in high school and I was in the sports medicine programs throughout like throughout the three years we were assigned teams and looking back the amount of stuff that we were doing or allowed to do compared to like what we should have been allowed to do is kind of mortifying when I look back at everything now I would say I'd have to agree because (laughs) knowing the stuff that I don't know even today yeah I don't know (laughs) As a student, the amount we were just we were just kicked out of the nest. Yeah. Right? Like you're going through the program, you know the bare minimum, and they're basically like, here's a high contact sport. Yeah. Have Let's fun. hope nobody dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Remember, you call nine one one if something happens and then you try to get them to breathe if they're not. Right. Well and Oh, okay. It, it was almost like it, they just they just sent us out. With very little information, so little information that you didn't even know how little information you had. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you didn't know what you didn't know. 
Yeah. <laughs> Are you talking about that after the athletic therapy program or like through school? Through school. Yeah. Like painfully so. Yeah. Like, and it got, for me, it got even more obvious. Like when I was in my kin and then my athletic therapy, like the anatomy and physiology side of like kin, I was like, oh, that's how all of that stuff happened from before. I shouldn't have been able to do any of those things. And you just gave a high school student, like, here's a toolbox that has yeah. like six rolls of tape and a bandage in it. Good luck. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I'm still trying to figure out how to rip tape at this point. And you want yeah. me to like bandage up someone who's broke their leg? Oh my God. And practicing ripping tape. Did you do that? When yeah. You were- did we, you get the like callousy like you, dry blister things the on the side of your on fingers? Your fingers, and or like if you didn't cut your thumbnails short enough, you'd end up slicing your index finger when you were. Yeah. And there's like always the crappiest tape to rip. Sometimes the Renfrew was it red? Maybe there was one. It was unbleached. And it was just... Felt like sandpaper? Oh, that was the <laughs> worst. I remember there was two different types of Renfrew tape. There was the Renfrew blue and the Renfrew red. And yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the red that was unbleached. And then if you got the J&J, it was like you weren't even taping somebody because it ripped so easy. Yeah. It felt like... It didn't feel like it was going to stick anywhere. Right. It didn't or feel like it had rip any as adhesive. Soon as some, like you put it on someone and they move their foot. I'm like, oh, that... That's not attached anymore. And you're like, that's only going to last about five seconds. Yeah. The taping was an interesting one going through mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Especially if you ended up with teams that required a ton of taping. Did you work any football when you were going through school? Because um, I know football out west, being that I like grew up out there as well, football yeah. is intense. Yeah. So, like, if we're talking high school, I covered rugby and um occasionally football but that wasn't really my thing um once I was in kin I did uh I was with the soccer team the University of Regina women's soccer team um and I covered a bunch of other sports and while I was still in my undergrad I was working with the Regina Thunder football club so there was a lot of football and a lot of a lot of taping yeah, that's, with those boys. That's definitely one where they just... And it's so ingrained, it's almost cultural to mm-hmm. the point, like, given, you know, the science behind how well tape actually works compared to bracing a joint. Um, and if you're actually making other joints more susceptible to injury is always interesting. But mm-hmm. there's so many old school coaches that they, like, demand, especially O-linemen. Demand. Every part, every one of them gets Demand. your ankles taped. Yeah, like I remember when I was in university working with the football team. I was a student, and the uh, the O line coach was adamant that all of his boys needed ankle tape drops. Yeah. Adamant, and like some of these guys were big boys, but adamant. But one player did not want his ankles taped. Did not. So he would actually have me cuff the tops of his ankles. <laughs> So that it looked like he had an ankle tape job so the coach wouldn't ride him for not getting his ankles taped. That's hilarious. Yeah. But, like, it comes down to everyone's own body autonomy, too. Like, if I don't think it's going to do anything for me that I need, 
And like, if I'm going to be in my head focusing on the fact that like now I have my ankles taped and I don't know how to move as well in them, I don't know what I'm doing, like you're going to end up hurting yourself. So you're doing more harm than good in those situations anyway. Oh, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. It's a, it's a strong debate on, on the usefulness of uh, taping, especially for ankles. But for me, knees. Knees. Yeah. I don't – some tape jobs, like the patellar tendonitis tape job, mm-hmm. I kind of can go along with the attachment point changing to a certain degree. But taping an ACL on a 200-pound football player <laughs> seems ridiculous. Yeah. Like, okay, maybe an 80-pound gymnast – potentially that tape might last a little while plus she's not super hairy most like i'm generalizing but like if you have hair on your legs that thing is probably going to be down to your ankle before the first quarter is over in a football game yeah well and it's so much more contact and they're oftentimes a lot sweatier because there's so much more gear like a girl in a leotard like Nothing like assessing a football player's shoulder in the middle of a game. Like, that is getting up and personal on something that is completely disgusting. Yeah. Completely disgusting. But it's our job. Yeah. <laughs> so we do it's, it. It's funny because in in clinic, I'll have some clients and they'll be like, oh my God, I didn't shave my legs. <laughs> and I'm like... You forget what I do for a living outside of this. I'm like, I'm on sidelines with super sweaty, super hairy, like, not all of them, but like, there's a lot more hair on, like, a football or a rugby player's leg. Or their shoulder. Or their shoulder, compared to, like, you who has, like, two-day-old stubble on your leg. I'm like, I'm not worried about it. Like you don't have to shave for me. Like we're we're okay. We're, we're good. Yeah, we're good. And it's funny though because everyone just gets a little like self conscious, and then I just have to laugh about it because it's like, no, nah. like they're rolling around on turf, on mud, in the fields, all of the stuff. I'm like, so then I'm getting all of that. You just came from an office job, right? Like, or they apologize. <laughs> oh, I'm. Because you have to assess their ankle or their foot or you're massaging their foot. And they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I've been working all day and it might be a little stinky. And then I go, uh, honey. <laughs> like, yeah, 20-year-olds playing a sport. Much more disgusting than anything that can come off of your foot. Yeah. And if you're worried about it, air off. <laughs> like, take your shoe and sock off while you're chilling in the waiting room. By all means. Or, like, bring some sandals that you can put on. Like, do what you need to do. But I can guarantee, well, I can't guarantee because there's some, there's some people who are a little more ripe than others, but hundred percent, nine times out of 10, I would have to say anything that I'm going to deal with is probably going to be a lot more gross, sweaty, and you never know what you're going to see when I'm working a field event than what I'm going to see in the clinic. Because you oftentimes walk in to see me in a clinic versus me running out to see you on a field. Yeah. Yeah, we get such weird, weird things that we can come across. Yeah. So your career started at West. Sure did. Rugby was like the main sport that you you worked with, but you did work a little football. Yeah. Football and, and I worked hockey. Well, that's um, kind of a given in this country, I yeah. think. 
football can be a little bit more touch and go for some people. A little bit more common out west, obviously. But um, hockey is kind of something we've all suffered through. Those long bus rides Mm -hmm. in the wintertime. So from there, where did your career go? Uh, So four years ago, I moved out here uh, from Calgary. And when I first arrived, I worked at Newbridge Academy, like the private sporting prep school that was in Dartmouth. And that's where we met. And that is where we met. Yeah. Those were some long days. That was like five days of travel a week and just kind of ridiculousness on itty bitty buses and working with multiple teams at the same time. So even if one team only has like two games in a day three teams went and I was covering them that was six games in a day which makes for a very very long day and a lot of overlap yeah tax <laughs> that is that, those, that is an extremely long day when you're looking yeah. at multiple teams playing multiple games mm-hmm. within a day yeah and then so how long you were there for a year uh two years no not two years um I was there until, like, just before they shut down. Yeah. Um, And then from there, I picked up my own business, and I did a lot more of my own stuff again. And And just uh, remind everybody of your business. I'll know I'll post it at the bottom of this. (laughs) Uh, So I own and run Peak Athletic Therapy, where I do field work events. I do travel therapy, and I do clinical stuff. So I go to different clients' houses who aren't able to travel. Um, I work with teams locally and throughout Canada. Um, Sometimes that takes me to the U.S. Sometimes that takes me back out west. Um, More recently, I've done a lot more stuff in Ontario with uh, OVA, so Ontario Volleyball Association. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the only province that I haven't worked in yet um, is Newfoundland, I think, that I haven't covered some sort of an event there or traveled there with any teams. Um, And then, obviously, the territories. Yeah. Haven't been there either. ET does have a lot of travel. And in, you know, the traveling... There's this very interesting thing that most ATs aren't taught. It's establishing a work-life balance. Oh, those don't exist for a lot of people, especially newly coming out of school. You just get taught to do as much as you can, prove to everyone who you are, what you do, and what you know, and then they'll eventually pay you what you're worth. Yeah. So you do so much for so little, hoping that that'll change, but then everyone gets used to you doing what you do for the price that they got it at. So there, there's, there's definitely a challenge when it comes to therapists, new and old, when it comes to being able to balance work and life. What advice would you give to like a healthy new grad on being able to set the boundaries professionally so that they don't hit that wonderful word called burnout. 
and end up ditching this career five years in, which, let's be honest, is probably the cap for a lot of people who don't venture into the professional sporting arena, Mm -hmm. right? Or, like out here, universities. So I would liken that to, you know, step down from professional. But, like, you're making pretty steady income. Yeah. It's relatively safe. Um, so how do we start, stop that burnout? Like, what can we tell new grads to be like, listen, if I can give you this pearls of wisdom from suffering through it myself, what can we tell them? No matter what profession you're in, you're going to have to work your butt off when you come out the gate. But I also think a lot of athletic therapists, especially new people coming out, we need to know our worth and not expect our worth to be based on someone else's impression of us. Um, When I moved out here, I took a massive pay cut because nobody knew what athletic therapy was. And I had to do a lot more work to get into like getting paid and getting paid appropriately for what I do. Um, So there is still that mentality of like something is better than nothing. But at the end of the day, there's always going to be someone who is going to do your job for cheaper. I agree. And if there's always going to be someone willing to do your job for cheaper, then there's no guarantees that they're going to get the same quality, the same care, the same knowledge that you bring if it's someone who's not in the same profession. And if someone's just going to take the job anyway who gets paid less, why don't you just actually ask for more? Because there is this sort of science behind asking for more and you're likely going to get more because if you value yourself and your services, people are going to be more willing to pay for that when it's something that's a higher dollar value. I find versus like if I came out and I said, hey, you can pay me $15 an hour. And then some first aid kid who just took the course is like, oh, but you can pay me $15 an hour. If I'm going to be getting paid the same thing as that kid, I'm not going to take that job. I'm going to have more like respect for myself and my knowledge for things. And I think that's something that we need to remember that just because there are people looking for work it doesn't mean it has to be the work that you take. And if that means that at the beginning you are a part-time athletic therapist and you work somewhere else as well where it gives you the consistent pay that you need, so working in a retail store or doing something else, then I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Just so that... We all need to eat, right? Yeah. But I think if we come out of the gates undercutting each other, we're actually doing a disservice to our profession as a whole absolutely because by undercutting one another and doing it for cheaper and doing it for cheaper and doing it for cheaper like where does that take our profession who's going to take us seriously if you pay minimum wage for somebody who's gone to school for that many years has knowledge or or has experience yeah right again like we were saying we got thrown into the fire as students Mm -hmm. thrown into the fire and we were probably a little overconfident for our skill level. Oh, for sure. But that's because how even you come when out. I got out, I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm, God no, you're twenty. Like, like now, when I think back at like the CADA exam, and I was like, oh, <laughs> I thought that was so intense. And now I'm like, 
that that's an everyday thing in clinic or field. I don't know what I'm walking into, and it's like yep. that all over again, except well, for someone's not standing there with a video gotcha. camera, like grading everything that I do. They might be standing there with a video camera, just like and putting it on the big screen, right? And have our ass on the jumbotron. <laughs> How often has that happened? Right. The amount of ridiculous faces in pictures that I have from photographers <laughs> because I have a very expressive face and if I'm talking to someone or I'm trying to explain something or I'm laughing or something was super unexpected hands are moving <laughs> you can see it all over my face so I there's some terrible looking photos of me from some fantastic photographers with a lot of the teams that I work with around here and they'll tag me in all of them and I just have to laugh at it because I'm like, this is what those guys see in their moment of need is whatever is plastered like what all is- over my face. Did did you ever go through a time, though, when you were doing athletic therapy where you had to, like, erase the oh shit face? Like, where you, because I, I can still point, <laughs> mm-hmm. point the moment when I figured it out. Uh, I was working a football tournament. It was like... U U nineteen or something, and I assess this kid's <clears throat> knee, and no word of lie, he had no MCL. Like his knee went sideways for the test. Like you just add a little bit of pressure, and it just it was like, oh shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like you learn quickly that you need to have a completely expressionless face. Yeah, when you find those things. Yeah. Because they are looking at you and going, okay. So whatever that was, that was bad, right? That wasn't good. Yeah. You do the test and you're like, okay, so I'm just going to go get the doctor. <laughs> I'll just be once. It's don't worry. Like, take a deep breath. I just want a second opinion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you learn to like wipe the oh shit off your face. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember when I was in the athletic therapy program. Um, and I've always been a loud human being and a very expressive person you take up your space and that's okay i like and one of the instructors we were doing testing on like random people and we had our stations and whatever and they weren't telling us like who had what we just knew that it was going to be like some lower body injury so different people we were assessing like an ankle and a knee and a hip and a whatever and at least one of those people was gonna have something yeah and it just so happened to be another athletic therapist who was a patient and I felt my like first like full gone ACL and I'm there and I'm just talking to her and I'm doing whatever and then I'm doing the test and then I'm doing the test and then I'm doing the test and I'm like in my head I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god what is going on and then she's like yeah okay you found it and the instructor comes over and he's like you're gonna need tone down your face a little use your inside face (laughs) and I looked at him and I was like I don't have one I and he's like we're gonna have to work on it so it's now like a running theme where a lot of the people that I work with know that I'm very expressive about things um so it's like okay try to use your inside voice Mm -mm. my inside voice is this one my outside voice you can hear me on the other side of a football field You'll know. There's a difference. But my inside face, I have to like 
remember that. So all I, in like the back of my mind is this instructor who's like, use your inside face. I love that. Every time that like I see something that's like, mm, yeah, that's, 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 not, not, that's good. not great. Yeah. That's, that's not, not great. supposed to be there. And there's certain people that you can get away with like expressing everything because they don't care and it doesn't bother them. Mm-hmm. I find that more in like a field work setting versus clinically because clinically people are coming to see you because they know something's wrong they just don't know how bad it is yes versus like on the field two weeks ago i had a guy who (laughs) put his bottom teeth through his upper lip and like a chunk of it was just like hanging down and he's like i can feel something and i don't know what's in there and i like look at it and i was like huh He's like, what is it? I was like, do you get grossed out easy? He's like, no, I just want to know because I can't really feel my face. I was like, yeah, that part that you're feeling is like the inside part of your lip that's just like hanging down. So we're just going to push that back up into your lip and we're going to hold it there and we're going to go for some stitches. And he's like, take some pictures of me. I want to see what it looks like. And I'm taking pictures and, and then everyone else comes around too. And as soon as everyone else and all the other teammates and players come over, they're like, oh, my God, so gross. Whoa. And they, like, hype everything up. And I was like, sorry, man. And he's like, yeah, I was expecting that. But in those situations, I feel like if you read the situation and you know the athlete or the person, you don't always have to no, hold your – oh shit face well and it's a relationship thing too right like you build a relationship with if you work like we were saying earlier you know sometimes you'll end up with a team that you've never Mm -hmm. been with before you've never seen the players before you you don't know the 100 percent the dynamic of the players or who they are how they react or what previous injuries have have they dealt with um but if you stick with the same team for a few years or even by the end of the first season, mm-hmm. like you can get a really good feel for the athletes. And it's funny because we usually say our athletes. Like yeah. when you're talking, I just had to like watch myself there. But we usually like when you're with a team, you call them your athletes. Oh, yeah. They're yeah. mine. They're mine. They belong to me. I take care of them. <laughs> I'm sometimes there, you know, away from home mom, which is generally the role most of us female athletic therapists end up taking. Yeah. Um, because you just you have to care for them all the time, mm-hmm. um, and it it goes way beyond just like I'm injured here. It's like sometimes we'll be their therapist for shit that's going on at home or in life with like relationships or their issues with coaches or teammates. Like we became like we become their sounding board for a lot of stuff too. So you build a very dynamic and vast relationship with a lot of these athletes and teammates mm-hmm. um, and you're kind of the go-between right mm-hmm. so you like you're the go-between because because you're part of the staff so you know you, you've got one foot in the coaching end of it and you hear what the coach wants out of everything and then you've got one foot in the athlete group where like you're not a coach to them right but you're kind of in with them in a different way that the coaches are. Mm-hmm. So you got one foot on either end and then you throw like, depending on the age group, parents. Yep. So you've got to have like a, a hand into that and you've got to basically 
make this all work when it comes to the dynamic of the team, right? Mm -hmm. Between player to player, player to coach, player to parent, parent to coach, parent to player. Like it's just this like web that you're trying to hold together. Yeah. Um, Because some people, when it deals with injuries, um, can like, depending on the injury, like there are some serious side effects that can come out of it that sometimes they only divulge to you or sometimes they'll divulge it to a player that you just happen to have a stronger relationship with because you've you know worked with them for longer Mm -hmm. and they're the ones that bring you the problem from this other athlete that doesn't know the dynamic yet have you ever had a situation where the coaching staff was males and you were working with a female team yes and there's issues and things that have happened that like obviously players weren't comfortable talking to coaches about and then you had to be in that weird like middle zone of I can't breach your trust as the athlete and legally you can't say certain things but then there's situations where you have to divulge information so if you had to deal with any situations of like taping or bracing or splinting an athlete and noticing like self-harm stuff i haven't gone so far as like physical self-harm like i have had athletes in the past who'd been going through it Mm -hmm. and they were already getting um counseling or help for it yeah um i haven't dealt with anybody where i've been the person that has discovered it but there have been a few open discussions with athletes over some of their own whether that's and it's not always physical Mm self-harm in the way of like cutting yeah um but i have dealt with athletes who have used like alcohol Mm -hmm. as a coping yeah or certain other behaviors is like kind of their coping mechanism Mm -hmm. and you always kind of try to direct them because we aren't psychologist no you know what i mean so you always want to kind of direct them to something that can help them out um but again like you said we're a sounding board sometimes they're already going through the stages of coming out of the other end of it mm-hmm. and they just need somebody to talk to you um i've had i've had a lot of that yeah yeah i remember i think one of the most unexpected parts of athletic therapy that I don't think anyone ever teaches us or trains us on like we know psychology a little bit and we, well, we know like the anatomy and we've psych, taken some. yeah but I remember I was working with this female hockey team and this one girl um she pulled her groin and she wanted like her hips wrapped and whatever for practices to see how it felt when we're going back into return to play and she was mortified. Um, she wanted it done, but she was mortified to ask because she wasn't sure how I was going to react about things. And she had like active, like self harm cuts, like on her inner thighs and stuff like that, where they wouldn't be noticeable, like on her wrists or anything like that, where she had previously done things, but her parents gave. Her, I guess more trouble for that so she started hiding them and doing it in places where people wouldn't notice where it was like okay so in those situations not only am I dealing with an athlete who's underage I'm dealing with an athlete who 
I have to like physically do first aid on before doing like the other things like I got to make sure that like they're covered before I just do a hip spike on you yeah it's, make sure yeah. we're not like actively bleeding and doing this stuff but then also figuring out like who can I get you to talk to support wise and give you the support that you need to talk to the most appropriate people for whatever it is that you're going through um so I think like those components of athletic therapy aren't necessarily something that were they don't even really go over the red flags you know what I mean like the things that you always go over to red flags for injuries yeah right like red flags for injuries you know oh like who didn't learn when we went through AT that mono makes your spleen big so you'll have shoulder pain when it erupts like that was you, they yeah. went over that so much, I thought I was going to have an exploding spleen every week. Right? Or, like, the major contraindications for things. It's like, okay, like, if you see this, this, and this, like, hard stop. You're sending them to the hospital. You're like, okay. Compartment syndrome was another big one. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, my God, you're going to have to cut off a leg. You know, you, you, you learn how to stop femoral, <laughs> like, femoral fractures. Okay, I did actually have to deal with a femoral fracture. But, like... They act like that's going to happen by somebody sneezing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like those are always going to happen. When what we end up dealing with nine times out of 10, if you work with a certain age group, and it can happen at any age group, it's things like that. Yeah. It's it's the life things that they don't, and nobody's saying we want to be counselors. Mm -mm. What we want is to know how to deal with that situation as it presents to us so that we can... um. Because you don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because clearly when she was approached with that issue before, when she was visibly cutting herself, something tried to be done. Mm -hmm. Right? Like she was encouraged in some way, shape or form to talk to somebody, to stop doing it, to try to come up with, you know, other coping mechanisms. And it didn't work to the yeah. point where she was now hiding it because she could still, she could, she was doing it. Not because it was showing. She was doing it to clearly for a different reason. Yeah. No matter what that reason was, whether she wanted to numb herself or feel something or whatever it is, right? Again, we are not psychologists. Mm -hmm. But what we want to, again, be able to have that situation because it will be presented to us. Oh, for sure. You know, eating disorders, mental disorders. See that and know how to respond to it in the moment to not make it any worse. Mm -hmm. Because we've been taught... This is how you deal with a fracture. Yeah. Don't make it any worse. Exactly. Here's what you do with a spinal. Don't make it any worse. Like yeah. at the end of the day, and this is what I talk to a bunch of my students about, at the end of the day, if all you do is keep it at the status quo, don't make it any worse for the person coming in yeah. who is professionally trained to deal with this stuff more than you. Yeah. Right? You've done your job if you don't make it worse. We're just holding the fort down until emergency services arrive mm -hmm. because on that bus they have some beautiful things that will make it a hell of <laughs> a lot easier on you yeah. but when it comes to mental health and all those other aspects that are brought into our attention they don't tell you tell you how to triage no they don't show you how to not make the situation any worse yeah they don't tell you what is the 911 call for somebody who isn't eating properly mm-hmm and how do we encourage this person without then turning it into an underground problem? Yeah. Because 
on the surface, they're trying to make it look like there's nothing, but underneath, you know, it's like watching a dog swim. <laughs> Perfectly <laughs> fine above water, but it's absolute insanity below. Yeah. You know? I and and that would be something that I would definitely encourage a new program to look into. And again, it go but it goes back to scope of practice. Mm-hmm. You want to stay within your scope of practice. But our scope of practice is moving them on to the appropriate health services and how you do that. Because when it comes to things like that, the way you say it and how you say it is going to decide the outcome of that situation. It matters. What you say and how you say it. Like you can tell someone like, oh, you're going to be fine. Or you can be like, hey, look, you're going to be okay. Like I said the same thing. Right. But they came across as very different things. One's like passive, like, eh, um, you're not my problem. Like, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out, whatever. And the other one is like, all right, let's figure this out together. Yeah. Like, breathe. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. And you always want to be, because who goes into athletic therapy not wanting to help people? Like, that is the generic answer. Oh, yeah. That is second to like, oh, I did sports and I got hurt. I wanted to help people like, yeah. well, you could help people at McDonald's, but like, <laughs> right. But you want to help people and you no. go into these professions and you, you know, again, we talk about boundaries, but the thing is, is you, you work on creating boundaries, but you also know that when somebody is entrusting you with their health, mm-hmm. they have to trust you. Yeah. Like there has to be a relationship there. Yeah. You can't, you can't just overnight have that relationship. And that makes it harder for setting certain boundaries too. Like, especially if we get into more of like the mental health or the eating disorder side of things, the non-specific athletic side of things. It's a little bit harder, I find, at least for me in certain times in the past where The boundaries of like, hey, let's keep this like, all right, we're going to talk when it's at team time. We're going to talk at this like, but there's been times where there's been people who have had like mental health crisis where like, I'm like here's my phone number. Give me a call if you need. If you're in danger, I will come and get you. <laughs> but it's not like, hey, I'm going to go pick you up from a party. Yeah. Like there's, there's still like, boundaries. We're still going to have to talk about like, all right, so. I'll pick you up and I will drive you home or I will drive you to the hospital or I will drive you to a place that you are going to be safe, but I'm not going to drive you to like your buddy's house next door or whatever. Yeah. Um, but in those situations, it's like, okay, sometimes athletes have or anybody really kind of takes advantage a little bit of it because they know that you're on call. Like once there, you- there can be that accessibility that is a little bit of it can, yeah. be, can turn into a bit of a problem and I completely understand and it's definitely happened to be in the past mm-hmm. as well. So the work-life yeah. balance in that situation can get a little sketchy, a little intense. Yeah. But then we just have to go back to having those conversations and having those uncomfortable conversations with people because if we don't ever stand up for ourselves, whether that comes to pay, what we're expected to do, communicating with coaches or athletes, no one's going to know. If we're just no. like sitting in silence, what and that I 
that's something that I find a lot of therapists kind of do is that they don't want to rock the boat because they're happy that they're getting any work, especially new grads, where they'll, again, do more than that's required of them to do for situations. So the work-life balance isn't there or the conversations to be able to like reel things back in. They, and the, and the expectation gets set, Mm -hmm. right? And we almost need to, it's the, I consider it part of my responsibility to, because I've been in the job now for a few years that I see my job is to create a space that the new grads don't have to go through that. I yep. don't agree that, like, I suffered, so you should suffer. No, I hate that mentality. I, I think we should really make this a profession that supports our new grads, gives them opportunities. You know, somebody who is self-motivated will actually need to be reined in mm-hmm. as opposed to being, you know, constantly berated to do more. And, but then you also need to show them that, like, at some point, your capabilities as a therapist starts to degrade if you don't take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Because our job requires us to be emotionally and physically invested all of the time. You know, like, physically, it's draining to work with a football team because physically, you're on your feet all day long Mm -hmm. they're long days games are long days practices you're in the rain you're in the snow you're in (laughs) the ice your body takes a physical toll like as women we can say this that like physically um, lifting a 300 pound o-lineman's leg is an effort we're stretching guys that are three times as heavy as us Mm -hmm. like their leg weighs as much as your body it feels like some days right and so you physically have to give it your all and then you're mentally like we said we have people coming in telling us like oh my god my girlfriend cheated on me or oh my god you know my parents are such and you're like Mm -hmm. my cup is running on empty and the weirdest thing about those situations too is that that could be like one athlete coming in to see you, but you can't take that energy and that like drained feeling onto the next athlete. No. Like, so then you have to just like switch it off and like go back into like the next person that you're Compartmentalize. seeing. Compartmentalize. And then move on. So by the end of the night, you're like, okay, let me just right. de- like de-stress of all of that. Because it can be heavy sometimes, not physically, but like mentally and emotionally, like it can be heavy. It's a lot. And, and if not doing anything about it is And if you're not good. organizing a large group of players and dealing with a large group of coaches and you're trying to fight that dynamic, because there's always conflict, mm-hmm. always, even with the happiest of teams, there's some form of conflict at some point about something. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of it. Like, you've got a lot of type A people in high-end sports. Yep. And they're, there's butting of heads. There's differing opinions all the time. And so you're dealing with that. So I think if we don't show new grads that they 
don't need to run themselves into the ground to make a name for themselves, they will end up being better therapists Mm -hmm. because they'll know how to take care of themselves and realize they are just as important as everybody else. Mm. Right? Right? Like, I remember I have worked with teams that you know right away that the culture is that the athletic therapist matters. Yes. Because they will carry your bags. They will carry your table. They will bring out their own water bottles. They will line you up to eat first when you're at team meals. They will put you in the front of the line. Mm -hmm. They will. And like, I'm not saying I demand those things, but even just to have somebody make the offer. Yeah. Means that you matter to the team. Well, and it's just that appreciation style. Like it's, it's sort of one of those professions too, where we don't go into it for like the glory of it. God, no, we do not want to end up on that jumbotron. It is a bad day when our asses are on that jumbotron. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it's also about like being appreciated. And I find that so many of us do so much that it almost becomes expected and then it's like, if someone were to carry my table for me and I don't have to make like six trips between like the med kits, the tables, the spine boards, the whatever, like that makes me so much happier. You're going to want to come up to me and ask for like a tape job later. I was like, absolutely. I'm like number one, this you're is gonna coming have, in. This is going to have a little TLC in it. <laughs> but it's like the the appreciation side of things is is I think something that we don't necessarily get a lot of, like especially at team nights or whatever, when there's the awards, it's like, oh, here's your coaching award and here's your player award and here's your whatever. And we're just there. Not that we want awards or anything, but to feel like you're appreciated by those little things that your athletes or your teams can do make a huge difference compared to like, hey, you do everything. I need you to be the water boy, the equipment manager, the athletic therapist, my counselor. I need you to watch my dog while I'm at the sidelines. Yeah. I'm like, I need you to make sure that I have my shoes. So I have, you have to text me in the morning to make sure I put all of my gear in the back. Like, nah, man, like, sure. Am I physically capable of doing all of those things? Yes. Do I want to? No. Is it within that specific scope of practice? (laughs) No. Do your own thing. Well, and I find too, because... Like I said earlier, our foot's in the coaches and our foot's in, and we're in all of them. Sometimes we land nowhere. Yeah. We land in this no man's land of questioning if we're part of the team. Yeah. Because you're not in the staff and you're not in the team. Mm -hmm. You're not a player. You're not a coach. You know, if there's an equipment manager, like you're, you're, you're nowhere. You're no man's land, but you have to be everything. Yeah. You're everything and nothing all at once, which is a very weird dynamic. And I've noticed that with, like, some of my teams, too. Like, we'll go out and then, like, go out to dinner or whatever after after whatever the event is. And then I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, do I go sit with the coaches or do I right. sit with the athletes or do I sit by myself or who am I talking to? Because if I'm talking to coaches, then all it is is just going to be gameplay and things that people screwed up or, like, that they were happy with or whatever and then the athletes it's like what they're gonna do on their saturday night right and it depends like, on ah, me like <laughs> where am i gonna go it's the age group sometimes oh too, yeah that you're like mm, i don't know although honestly it can be quite entertaining 
Oh, for sure. And I, I almost said my athletes again, but like athletes in general, um, you know, you kind of, you laugh to yourself when you remember some of the athletes that you have encountered over your career mm-hmm. and like the spectrum of athletes is oh yeah hilarious have you ever had a team or certain athletes um that are the prankster group and either brought you in on a prank that they were gonna do or like pranked you about anything i haven't really been pranked but i've definitely been involved in like the pranking mm-hmm. or at least been the sideline of it yeah what was that story i'm trying to let, remember the last <laughs> prank but I have done team things. Like I've joined in on team team stuff where they're like, This is what the player's doing and I've joined in. Yeah. And the biggest one would have been at Acadia, the entire football team bleached their hair. <laughs> I remember <blonde>. that. <laughs> the whole team. I Just remember the players. You. They bleached their hair blonde and all got mohawks uh-huh. and i'm like okay well i gotta draw the line because my hair takes way too long to grow out mm-hmm. i will i will go blonde and i went blonde oh yes blonde, i didn't even blonde, recognize blonde. you at the beginning because you you had a toque on when i went to see you mm-hmm. and i didn't think anything of it frozen. and then you took it off yeah and i just you know that inside face that we were talking about <laughs> there was it none. was none i was just like Oh, yeah, we went so that's... blonde. It was hilarious. But like, <laughs> it looked good, but it was so unexpected. Oh, 100% because it's totally different, right? Um, but like that was something that the players really responded to. Oh, yeah. Like the moment I said I was going to do it, they didn't they didn't believe me mm-hmm. at first. And then like the Wednesday, I'm pretty sure before our Friday night game, I went and had it done and it was a huge surprise to the players. Yeah. Like I didn't even but like Oh, uh, yeah. That was the best thing that I was ever involved with yeah. for a team. Well, um, and it, like, brings you right in with them. Like, there's no question then. Like, all of them are going to respect you then. They're going to know that they can joke around and have fun with you. That you're not, like, you're not just there to pull someone out of a yeah. game. Like, that you're you're there for them and you're there with them. Well, and that's the other half of it. Because so often you just said something really important. Pull them out of a game. You know, athletes that have never worked with you before sometimes think that's your only job. Oh, yeah. You're there to fuck up their chances to play. Mm-hmm. Your only job is to pull them. Yeah. That's it. Which couldn't be farther from the truth. Like, my my goal is to make sure that you can play now. And if not now, get back to playing as soon as safely possible so yeah. that you can continue playing forever. And I don't yeah. remember, like... I can't count the number of times that I've had to have conversations with athletes and their parents of like, hey, look, he's 14. This is the most important game of his current life because that's all he's experienced so far. To this point. But that will not be the most important game of his entire life if he comes out and sits now and does rehab and does whatever. But if he goes in and he gets hurt again, this could be it. This could be the end of everything. Yeah. And perspective, yeah. right? It's, There's a bit of perspective. But that whole, yeah, I I remember. And you gain not only the respect of the players, but the coaches mm-hmm. when you're not just 
I just don't pull for no mm-hmm. reason. Because, like, there are some people that, like, and no disrespect to other therapists out there. Everybody works their own way and you set your own standards for return to play. And let's be honest, not everybody's going to react the same when you put them back into a game. Mm-hmm. Some guys end up having a horseshoe up their ass and they finish the game. And some guys go in for 10 seconds and are like, injured again. Right. Yep. So there's no telling because there's just too many variables. But you use an educated, you know, you use an educated opinion when mm-hmm. you're coming up with the decision to go to return to play. And it's usually a pretty simple one. Like if you can't walk, you can't run. Yeah. And if you can't run, you can't play. So like you're not going to go walk, not walking to playing. Like mm-hmm. I don't understand like where you came from. I like there's got to be something in between. But Again, some ATs will pull for freaking hangnail because they don't want the responsibility of making the wrong call. Mm-hmm. And like over the span of your career, you're going to fuck up. Oh, yeah. Like you have to understand, again, there's too many variables at play that you're not always going to make the perfect decision. But what you do is you get, make the best decision at that time with the information that you have and so you know you gotta play to the player strengths too like there's and there's a big difference between putting somebody in on like game five of your playoff streak to like exhibition game Mm -hmm. your response to their injury is going to be totally different yeah and like very few people actually want to have that conversation like exhibition game get your head checked like you have all season like you're really going to (laughs) practice that was the worst i freaking hated practice when guys would argue with you every once in a while like no i never really had a ton of players ever argue with me because i make my point Mm -hmm. pretty clear and pretty strong but like i've had a player who had to get his ego checked with me once and he wanted to go back out. And I'm like, I'm sorry. But if we're in practice and I need to run on the field because you're down for practice, that tells me that you were injured enough that you required me to sprint. Yeah. And if you make me run. <laughs> if you make me run and it's for something other than you just being out of breath where we need to do conditioning work, you're coming out. Yeah, because you're obviously were injured enough in that moment where you couldn't get up under your own power. Like, mm-hmm. there is an issue. So, yeah, but I've been really lucky. I haven't had too many ego players that I haven't been able to check pretty quickly. Yeah. I've had, I've had a couple, but there's one when I was working a volleyball event where when you're covering an entire event, not just like one team, a lot of the typical things that you would do kind of go out the window because they're not your team. Like you have very standard things of like, if this happens, this happens, this happens, they're done. And it's usually set by like the organizer or whoever it was. And there was this one girl who comes running into like the medical room and she's like crying and screaming and complaining and she's like I think I broke my arm I think I broke my arm I think I broke my arm I'm like okay like let me see what's going on here yep and then 
you have to kind of keep in mind of like, all right, is this a really like a broken arm or is this the first injury you've ever felt that you're kind of like up here about everything? So once we like calm you down and bring you down, that it's not as bad. Um, so I'm going through things and I'm testing her for everything and she's coming up positive for like multiple different fracture tests. So I'm like, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to splint you and we're going to go for x-ray. It's like, you're not playing for the rest of the day, but I need your mom here so we can talk to her about it. And Ooh, you brought the mom in. That's always fun. It was, I can't say it was the worst decision because like technically I had to do their underage and everything like that. But like she just made it so much worse where the mother was the type of personality and the type where it was, she's not her. She's playing. We have scouts coming. We have this coming. We have this coming. It doesn't matter. She's playing. Those parents. And I'm like, I, I can't let her play. Like according to the rules by the association and by like the companies that hired me to come out here like we can't let her play until she go get goes and gets checked she needs to get cleared and she's like well you need to clear her i'm like i can't clear her and i'm not going to because all of my stuff came back positive Mm -hmm. like i'm please please prove me wrong that is not broken i will happily put her in a game but based on all of the things that have shown she needs to get cleared by a doctor And it became, like, this huge ordeal where she's, like, on the phones with hospitals and then, like, cursing me out and how I'm such a hurt. Oh, 100%. Then the the daughter is like, I'm fine, I'm fine. See, my mom says that I'm fine, I'm fine. And, like, she's internally panicking because she doesn't want to offend the mother. So it was, like, she was, like, the dynamic of, like, she's kind of afraid of disappointing her mom. But she's also, like, coming to me with, like, genuine pain about everything. And then she wants to go back and play because she likes playing and she's 14 and she's, like, all I want to do is play with my team and not go to the hospital, not go to the doctor. But, like, there are so many different angles at play. And then, like, the mother storms off and then the daughter comes at me with, well, let me sign a medical release form. No. I'm like, you're 14. How do you even know what a medical release form is? Like, how many times have you been in a situation then that you've been injured and medical professionals are telling you you need to go get checked and you're going against all of their advice and you're willing to sign a medical release form? Like, the only other time that I know of that happening is like if you're in an accident and you sign one from the paramedics who are like, hey, I think you should go to the hospital and you say no. They get you to sign a medical yeah, release form. That's like, ridiculous. Like you're you're 14 at a volleyball event. Like how many situations have you been in where that's been the case? Then I was like, I don't have one of those and I don't have the authority to give you one of those even if I did. Like, no. Like go get checked and then come back. That's all that I'm asking. If there's no break and the doctors say you're fine, we'll let you go back into play. Yeah, it's not it's not an issue. But it, that's not my liability then. But I'm not going to be liable for you going into play and a with a broken arm and then something worse happens and then that's on me later. I was like, I'm not taking that liability. And I told her and I told her mom that. I was like, like liability-wise, I'm not putting my name 
or my reputation on the line because that's what you want to do. Like, so if you're going to go in or you're going to go play, like you need to clear that with the organizers of the event. And if they want to give you a medical release form, by all means. So I'm also texting like my boss in line. And I was like, hey, I need you to come here. Like this is some, it's, things are blowing up out here. Like we need you here. Gong show. Yeah. (laughs) All of the gong show. And he comes over and he sees me and I'm like big eyed and everything. And he, like, I meet him halfway down the hallway and I give him like a quick, quick synopsis of what's going on. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, we don't have one of those. So he took her to the organizers and stuff. They don't have medical release forms. Those don't exist at this event because the rules are if you're injured and you're pulled, you go get cleared. That's it. There's no like anything else. So World War Three almost breaks out because then the mother starts talking to the coaches and a couple other parents and telling them like not to come see us if anything were to happen because all that we're doing is pulling them. So she goes, she gets an x-ray um, and then she refuses to tell me the results about anything and doesn't come back with a doctor's note clearing her for anything. So the association of whatever was like, okay, you went to the doctors. They said that it was fine. fine. So don't have it in writing. You can, but we'll take you your can go. And I was just like, I told the organization, I was like, all right. So on record, I'm not liable for anything that has happened because I've done my due diligence and I sent her away. You guys are the ones that are allowing her to play. If anything were to happen after this, I will see her and I will treat her and I'll manage her. But I'm not going to go out of my way to like preemptively tape her preemptively do all these things because I I don't know what is going on so I'm not going to tape her for a wrist if she's got like a radial fracture like it's not going to do anything age like nobody understands like a fracture is so much worse at an age where your bones are still growing yeah like what you want to damage the growth plate and have one arm longer than the other like you, you recognize that that's a huge issue and that is a quite, that's a possibility. I, I, I have a very mm-hmm. similar story. Um, it was through football. Kid, I can't even remember mechanism, but he comes to me and outside of his ankle looked like he had a baseball mm-hmm. swelling right over the bone. It was a baseball size swelling. Like this is not normal not a little bit of swelling not normal and he was of the age where like growth plates always Mm -hmm. a concern and of course he walked off the field but all the tests indicated a possible fracture i was like i i know you can walk but you really should go get an Mm x-ray did the same thing got his dad in his dad argued with me told me he's fine of course he's fine. He's walking. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that. The fibula, what, takes one-eighth of your body weight? It's quite possible he can walk. Like, it's 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 not his femur. Like, it's a small bone. Yeah. Like, if he's going to be able to walk, doesn't mean that it's not broken. indicative of nothing being broken. Right. So, like, he refused any other help. I said, you need to go get an x-ray. Big speech about how long it would take to do that. Mm-hmm. Pissed off at me. Made him leave this camp that he paid money for because I did 
definitely base my medical decisions off of how expensive a camp is. Right. Yep. I, that's that's, that's oh, like yeah. number two on the checklist. <laughs> Over $200? Oh, well, we have a totally different piece of paperwork to fill out for that. <laughs> fucking ridiculous. Anyways, that's what they assume. They really do. So it was the funniest situation because it was a two-day camp. Kid and his dad leave. They go get an x-ray. He comes back the next day. He's in a boot. Mm-hmm. Crutches. Whole nine yards. Man walks up to me. Fuck condescending prick mm-hmm. well just so you know it was broken I'm like, <laughs> go figure really yeah you could have told us i'm like i actually sent you to go get that x-ray he's like well it doesn't they t- they told us he can he could easily walk on a fracture when it was there i'm like mm, yeah that's mm-hmm. exactly what yeah, I, I said told those things you. to you yesterday. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I did not have an inside face when he was talking to me. <laughs> I had no patience at that point. After doing a two-day camp with like 400 kids, I was like, maxed out, man. Mm-hmm. I am not like, I'm not here to be congenial. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to be completely unhappy. He, he just like, was all huffy with me. And I was like, ah. I don't want to tell you, dude. Last time I checked, only Superman has x-ray vision, Mm -hmm. and I ain't Superman. Like, I would love it if I could just scan (laughs) somebody's freaking leg or hand, because, like, the odd time, because you you can be wrong. Oh, for sure. I could have easily been wrong in that situation, but, like, given the age and everything, Mm -hmm. I probably would have sent a 20-year-old who showed up with swelling like that. Yeah. 40-year-old, because it was indicated, Mm -hmm. but, again... I don't have x-ray vision. Yeah. I can't tell for sure if it's fracture, but like pretty sure. And then he goes into a speech about, well, where do I go (laughs) to get my money back? And I'm like, really? I don't know, bud. That's not my question. Like, I can't answer that. (laughs) Right? Like, do you you think I send out an invoice (laughs) for these events? Like, I am medical mm-hmm. it doesn't say accounting or hr on my back like yeah. i don't know what you want from me but mm-hmm. yeah he tried to find out for me where to get his money back It'd yeah be like maybe contact the people that you contacted to get into the camp right and yeah. and like i've had i've had parents that have been outstanding oh yeah and would like bring me food mm-hmm. and like wait on me and the minute i said anything about their kid they were like yep he's gonna do that she's gonna do that don't you worry we've got it they're gonna listen to everything you say if they don't listen to you they're not playing and their parents would pull them yeah if they didn't do what i said and then you get the parents that are like well you know the (laughs) x-ray lineup is really long and i just don't want to take the time to sit there Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what to say to you right now because I don't care how long you be <laughs> Yeah, because like you're either going to be sitting on sidelines or you're going to be sitting in the hospital. You're still not playing until I get an answer. Yeah. And it's like people don't understand. Like I've had to explain to people multiple times too that if I'm sending you an, for an x-ray, it's not to rule in an x-ray or it's not to rule in a fracture. It's to rule it out. Right. Because if it looks like something's broken, if I'm I'm going to be a lot more cautious in that situation. And if it's not broken, 
great. Your rehab, your return to play, your return to everything is going to be a whole lot easier if it's not broken. Well, and it gives us But I don't so know that unless I have an x-ray to tell me like, no, this isn't broken. And again, back to the red flags. Like there are just some red flags yep. that you want to take care of. Oh, for and sure. And there's like that group of kids that are still growing that you take no chances with no and parents don't always understand this there's like a select few Mm -hmm. that do but what they don't get is like fractures on growth plates are bad bad and if your kid has a fracture so bad that he needs an internal fixation bad but for a kid to have a fracture I would take a kid over a fracture away from a growth plate mm-hmm. than any kind of sprain. Oh, yeah. Because those kids will bounce back from those fractures 10 times faster than ligament damage. As long as they actually don't do anything to get make it worse. But you can't know those things unless you know. You get an x-ray. Yeah. Like I had a kid literally last week. I went The one that I went and got the brace for you from. Yeah. So... He subluxed his shoulder like a month ago and we were doing like rehab and work and he was doing really, really well. And we're going into like semi-contact practice. Yeah. And everything was good. And then his dad calls me and just to like update me after. And he's like, so he, I don't know what he did, but he's saying that it popped out again and it's back in, but he can't feel his fingers and he can't feel his arm. And he can't really lift it. Like, what should we do? Do we come see you? And I was like, you're going to the hospital for an x-ray. And he's like, I figured you were going to say that, but I just wanted to double check. And I was like, those are the kind of people that I'm happy for. So he goes in. Yeah. Goes and gets it looked at, x-rayed. He broke his arm because sublux the first time, but he broke his arm this time. Yeah. Two millimeters away from the growth plate. That's wild. So they have him like braced or whatever with it they're not doing internal fixation they're not well not yet not yet so he's supposed to be seeing like the ortho next week or whatever yeah next week but it was just like if if that was the kind of parent who was like oh my kid's fine he's just got a shoulder like it's sore and it was two millimeters higher like that kid would have permanent lifelong complications for something as simple of not just not getting it checked out and it's and it's okay to err on the side of caution mm-hmm. like yeah you don't want to think that everything is a broken bone or a brain tumor <laughs> like i get that right yeah like it's not always going to be a brain tumor just because you have a headache sometimes your <laughs> pony sometimes your ponytail is just too tight how much water have you had today yeah right? no, that's you've been, been like, out in the sun like for the, so long that's the checklist right <laughs> do okay i have a headache do i have a brain tumor have i not slept enough is my ponytail too tight have i been in the sun all day did i take my contacts out or did i sleep in them last night there's like so many variables but, but your like- brain automatically goes to brain tumor <laughs> just like start with a glass of water and then take your and hair then, out of a ponytail yeah. and get in some shade and see how you do for a few minutes. Don't immediately go to this CAT scan. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like there are some levels in between. Uh, but like it's okay for parents. Sometimes they don't want to be that parent who takes their kid in for everything. Mm-hmm. But if your kid's in a contact sport, it's a different thing all 
together. Mm-hmm. And I'm perfectly okay that if it makes them feel better to say, yes, go yeah. and get it tested. What I sometimes struggled with, and I don't know if you have this problem as well, is when some parents try going fishing around for what they want to hear. And I've dealt with that with a concussion before. Where they like, the kid is going through standard protocol, no red flags, it just needs some time. And they want to throw everything in the kitchen sink. Like they want, they want to get x-rays. And I don't know why because it's not going to show anything. Mm-hmm. Like your brain is not a bone. And they want to get CT scans and they want to get them in an MRI and they want to see pain specialists and they want to see, like, they want to like see, there's got to be a specialist, right? Like, <laughs> yep. Why isn't he seeing a neur- neurosurgeon? Well, because... It's only been 24 hours and the only symptom right now is headache and light sensitivity. Mm-hmm. It just needs time. Like, breathe. It just needs time. No, they don't need a CAT scan. No. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like 24 hours. I, I get where you're coming from. But you can't go fishing around to try and get, like what you're looking for yeah i thought that where you're gonna go with that was a little bit different in my brain oh, initially i thought one. you were gonna go like oh if you pulled a person for a suspected concussion things like that and bring them into protocol how i've had some parents go to whatever doctor mm. and then get the clearance note <laughs> right away because nope. they didn't like my answer of yes. like hey you can do this like this is what we need to do. Here's so your seven-day return to play. Yeah. To, like, some doctor, whoever it is, like, whether it's a walk-in clinic, their family doctor, or whatever. Could have been a dentist for all you know. And gets cleared because that doctor doesn't think that they have a concussion. Which, sure, fine, glad, all of it, liability is now off of me and it's onto that doctor. So, by all means, if you this is what you want to do, great. And that was a hard pill I had to swallow learning because not everyone is going to take our advice and they're going to go above us to someone else to get what they need. But when like they go to someone else and get the like, Oh, he's cleared to play now. He's going to go back and play. And it's like, cool. So he's cleared for a concussion. He's not cleared to play. Yeah. So we're still going to do our protocol and whatever. And then they just still get mad at you about everything. Yeah. But it's just like, you, I know you can't mess around with a brain. Like, we can replace pretty much every part of your body except for your brain. Well, and I think... You only get one of them. Yeah, and it's it's who you are as a person. Yeah. Like, how you perceive the world around you, your emotions, everything. Like, it's it's who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, your brain, especially at that age, right? Like, yeah. I'd say that age, but, like, at any age... It's not something you should take lightly. Mm -mm. And it's, again, one of those things where a lot of, like, if if I can rule it out, I rule it out. Oh, yeah. And, like, I've ruled it out with whiplash before. Yep. Um, But I have very strict, like, no-go scenarios where Mm -hmm. if they meet that criteria, it's not a chance. And they could be the Mm one-off where that is a unique symptom 
of a neck injury or of something else that is totally like not going to have them killed. Yeah. But like in all honesty, I take the view of like putting somebody back out on the field with something like a concussion totally di- different than what I'd look at for an ankle sprain. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Because there's so much more to it than just like the physical stuff of being able to stand on your foot. There's like your reaction time, your cognition, like everything comes into play when you have a brain injury and every single aspect can or is affected. Yeah. So. And there's such a wide range of symptoms, right? Yeah. For us. So it's very, very um, difficult. And again, we don't diagnose. Mm-hmm. We use that stupid word that we learned in school differential diagnosis yeah. not a true diagnosis it's a differential yeah. diagnosis we have a better idea of telling you what it's not than we do of what it is yeah and there's a diagnose. difference between a clinical diagnosis and a clinical assumption or a clinical prognosis for right things. and like so i can have a prognosis have of what thing is without a diagnosis a differential diagnosis yeah. but we can't actually diagnose because we're not mds and i don't want that responsibility no. i'm not but I also, if I'm uncomfortable mm-hmm. with an athlete that's been cleared by somebody I don't have any kind of knowledge of their experience or yep. expertise, I have not played players who have been cleared by a physician yep. when I don't want to deal with, I can't deal with the backlash because the backlash will be far too extreme. It'll be on you versus the doctor who it was there for. The doctor Liabil- Like legally... The backlash is going to ultimately end up on that doctor who cleared them to do whatever. But in the short term, if something were to happen, I'm all the blowback the is coming back on us every single time. The coaches are come at us. The parents are coming at us. The player themselves. Like, everyone is going to come back at us because we're the on-site medical at that moment in time. And you're picking up the pieces as it's falling apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've totally overridden the fact that like i'm on field care mm-hmm. you have not passed yep simple return to play protocol mm-hmm. i i'm not it's not happening and like if in, in good coaches will look at that and completely understand yep but it can really get messy when you know, they're supposed to be the next Sidney Crosby. Mm-hmm. And you've now destroyed their entire career because you think it's safer for them not to be on the ice or the field. Yeah. It's tough, too, because you don't know what the athlete tells their doctor. Because they could there. just go there and be like, hey, so I got told I need to get cleared for a concussion from you. I was in practice and, like, a ball hit me in the side of the face. And I'm fine. And they're now. like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, my face like hurt and I had a little bit of a headache for a minute, but now I'm fine. Okay, signed off. You're good to go. Even though it was like, hey, so I might have taken a ball to the face. I was unconscious, light sensitivity and a headache and all this stuff at the time. Yeah. But like, it just hurt where the ball hit me. Like, you don't know necessarily the story of what they're going to say, Especially when it comes to like the athletes or the parents of the athletes who are very much like get him back in because this is the be all end all of everything versus the ones who are very much like let me actually take care of this. The ones that you know that are actually going to tell the truth. It's true. It is because some people's perception of reality is like and they sometimes they don't even 
not tell the information because they're blatantly trying to lie, they honestly don't remember the full story. Mm -hmm. Or unless you ask them a very specific pointed question, they're not going to know. Like if it's, how are you feeling? Like, oh, I'm feeling good. Like I have a couple clients who are like that where it's like, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Yeah. And then you do anything else and it's like, okay, well, so how are you feeling about this? Oh, well, that's awful. Like, okay, so you're not doing good, but it has to be very specific questions. Yeah. It can't be like just general. Awesome. Well, we are almost two hours in. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of information on the go. We do. We're going to close it off um, for today's Sounds hot topic good. on this gong show. Um, so where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me by searching up Peak Athletic Therapy, both on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Well, Kaylee, thank you for spending the day with me today. I really appreciate you coming out for this first episode. Exciting. Yes. I can't wait to hear the rest of them. I'm very excited as well. Well, we will not stress your puppy out anymore. And we'll let, <laughs> we'll I let Tilly. Tilly play with the rest of the puppies upstairs because that's what she's been wanting to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll close it off. Sounds good. Awesome. Take care. Thanks. You too.